If you have your Bible, turn once more. And finally, at least from this pulpit, to Jonah. You should, we're going to be in Jonah in our regular Bible reading in a couple months. You should turn to it then. Uh, But right now, uh, let's go there to Jonah chapter 4. If you do not have your Bible, grab that pew Bible. It's on page 775. If you are unfamiliar with navigating a Bible, that's okay. I just gave you the page number. Just look for the really big number 4 on page 775, and you will be there. And as always, if you don't have your own Bible... Feel free to walk out of those doors after the service. Well, actually walk out of those doors because you should be going to the lunch, but walk out with that Bible. That's our gift to you. We would uh, love for you to keep that and read it. Well, before we get into our text, I want uh, for us to think about something first very quickly, and that is uh, we have a couple of young ladies in the room that are under the age of 12. I see a few of them here. I bet if I were to ask you two girls what your favorite movie is, and any other, I don't see any others, but that's because my eyes are going. Um, if I were to ask you what your favorite movie was, I'd be willing to bet it's a Disney princess movie. Yes, maybe, possibly. All right, okay. All right, for any of the other ladies in the room, if you were under the age of 12 back then, if I were to ask you what your favorite movie was, It would probably, maybe not in all cases, but it would probably be a Disney princess movie. Now there's there's a reason for that. Those are good movies. They've got fun animation. Uh, And let's be honest, guys, I like Tangled. It's a good movie, all right? But here's something about those movies. One of the reasons why we like them is because Disney made some changes to those stories. Most of those stories come from other literature that's a little bit older, and their endings are, well, let's just call them more difficult than the ones that Disney gives to us. They are endings that might make us uncomfortable if we were to read those stories, and those endings would probably not be as popular as the endings that Disney has given to them. And I wonder if maybe we're tempted to do that with the story of Jonah. In fact, I would not even wonder. I know that we Christians have done that to the story of Jonah because here's the challenge. Go find a a storybook Bible somewhere. You go to it and you will either see that the story ends after Jonah 3 or they give you a couple of extra things, maybe some pastoral comments afterwards. But... We need to know that as we look at this story, this story ends exactly as it's supposed to end. It ends exactly as God inspired it to end. It's not a happy ending. It's uncomfortable. There's no resolution, and it leads us to ask questions. And it leads us to ask questions about just the history. What happens next? But, but if we're reading it honestly, it ought to ask us questions about ourselves as well. And so let us uh, look at Jonah chapter four. And if you would just follow along with me as I read. And uh, just for some context, just to remind us, I'm actually gonna start in chapter three, verse 10. And this is what God's word says. When God saw what they, that's the Ninevites, did, 
how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to live, to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you well, do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved your word throughout many thousands of years and, and throughout many generations. And we thank you that it is here before us now that we can read it and think and ponder over your words. Father, may your word challenge us. May we be changed because of what we read and what we think about today. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. As we look at this text today, the, as we're going to look at it, you're, you're going to see there, uh, if you're looking at the ESV text, there's two paragraphs there. That's going to break down nicely into our two points that we're going to look at as we break down this text. And we're going to see first in, in verses one through four that Jonah is going to reveal his heart, and next we are going to see that God is going to challenge Jonah's heart. And throughout of all of this, God is going to show that he has compassion for his enemies and is going to ask Jonah the question, does he? And for us today, we need to ask ourselves that question as well. But first in verses one through four, we're going to see Jonah reveal his own heart. 
Let's remember exactly what we read uh, just a second ago in verse 10. Jonah has gone to the city of Nineveh. He finally, after the, the whole episode with the storm and the fish and being vomited up, he goes, he obeys the Lord, and he goes and proclaims a message of judgment to the people of Nineveh. He proclaims that God is going to come and destroy everything. And what happens? The people repent from the king all the way down to the lowest of the low to even the cattle. There's a fast proclaimed. Everyone puts on sackcloth and they begin to weep and mourn and lament and hope and pray that God would relent from the disaster. And that is exactly what happens. And yet, Jonah has a very interesting response. Now, maybe we're not surprised by it, especially after Nathan sharing with us, you know, Jonah's prayer of repentance. There were some very key things missing in that prayer. So maybe we're not surprised, but maybe I think we should be a little surprised. I mean, this is exactly what God had commissioned Jonah to do, and it was successful. And yet, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Or maybe uh, if you read in the footnote, the other way, uh, if your footnote is there, there should be a number two after exceedingly. And if you go down, it said it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. This ought to surprise us. Kids, just to get our minds kind of grasped around this. All right, kids, I want you to think about this. Has your parent ever asked you to clean your room and maybe even told you you were going to lose all your toys if you don't clean your room? All right, think about that. And then think that you actually go and you do the absolute best job you have ever done cleaning your room and you do it in like less than 10 minutes. Now, normally, yeah, yes, let's just, we're, we're thinking about this here, okay? You go and do that. Now, normally we would expect that if you were to go back to your parents and look, look in my room, look, it's clean. I even cleaned under the bed, all right? Look at that. It's the best you've ever done. Are any of you going to expect your parents to go, oh man, I was really hoping to take all your toys away. I am so upset that you cleaned your room exactly what I told you to do. That's what's happening here. Jonah has proclaimed God's judgment and he has proclaimed it. And yet when it, the people are responding, he is furious. It is exceedingly evil or it displeases him exceedingly. And this just shows us that though the, the major conflict in this story has ended with God relenting from the disaster in Nineveh, there's something still not right happening. There is still a major conflict lurking and it's lurking within Jonah's own heart. And so Jonah prays to the Lord and he reveals, he puts all of his cards on the table. And it says he prays to the Lord, verse two, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah's opening, opening up the curtain for us to see, look, this is exactly, you didn't, we didn't get to read what his motivation was. Now we see it. We see, and his motivation is this. I knew that you were a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What? Jonah knows exactly who God is and what his character is. And he says, that's the reason that I ran away. 
He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites, although they were a very violent people. He probably should have been afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of them. He didn't think they were too stubborn of a people. They wouldn't actually listen to what he was going to say. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid that he was going to be inconvenienced because Nineveh is about 500 miles north of Israel's most northern border. No, he wasn't that. He wasn't even doubting that God could actually change their hearts and make them repent. He ran away because he didn't want God to show mercy to those wicked Ninevites. These are Jonah's thoughts from the very beginning. Jonah thinks, oh no, God is sending me to these evil Ninevites, these wicked people. That means God might want to show them mercy and I want no part of it. Jonah says, that is why I ran in the first place. Jonah knew God's heart. Jonah knew God's patient mercy towards evil people. He didn't want anything to do with it. In verse 3, he can't stand it so much. He can't even believe what is happening. He knows that that's, that's what God has done. He sees, by the way, the only thing we know Jonah sees at this point is that he's just watching the people respond to the message that he's giving. And he's knowing that even the fact that they're able to respond right now is the fact that God is showing mercy to them even right now. And so in Jonah's mind, he is He's furious, and he doesn't even want to live in a world where God could show mercy to evil people like the Ninevites. God, I don't even want to be a part of this world anymore. Take me out of it. And so one thing that we need to do before we move on from verse 3 is we need to realize what, what Jonah is doing here. Jonah is questioning God. Jonah is convinced in this case he knows better than God. God, I know you're sovereign. God, I know you are in control of all things. God, I know that you're a merciful and gracious God. But here in this situation, you've got it wrong. These people should not be shown your mercy. Now, before we are too hard on Jonah... We just need to realize we do that too. Now, we can think of some silly ways that we do it. Maybe for some of us after the game tonight that most of us, I'm sure, will be watching, some of us might be tempted to say, Lord, you've got this wrong. My team was supposed to win. I don't know what you're doing, but that's what was supposed to happen. Or, Or maybe even on a little lighter note, we say, Lord, I just was on the interstate with people going, I don't even know how much faster than the speed limit than they should have been going, but I just got pulled over for having an expired tag. God, haven't you gotten this wrong? Isn't this backwards? Isn't this messed up? Or maybe, maybe even more seriously, maybe we ask and say, God, you must have gotten this wrong. I was supposed to have a happy marriage. God, I, you've got this wrong, God. Wasn't I supposed to, to die before my children did? God, you must have gotten this wrong. Why did I get this bad news from a doctor? 
we often think that we know better than God. We often act just like Jonah. And even in, in Jonah's anger, even as he is questioning the Lord and his decisions that he's making, God responds to him. And how does God respond? Do you do well to be angry? Jonah here is, is just like the older brother in the parable that Nathan just read. He is furious at seeing God's compassion being poured out on someone else, and he is exceedingly angry. And God, like the father in that story, has every right just to lay it on his, his older son and to be wrathful towards him. And yet, just like in the parable, there's just a simple question. Do you do well to be angry? I think we ought to be surprised by God's gentle response to his stubborn and rebellious prophet. Well, Jonah has revealed his heart, but also God is going to now challenge his heart. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Jonah, at this point, I don't know if he's ignoring God's probing response. He probably is, or he just thinks, well, God's response was vague enough here. Maybe, there, maybe there's still a chance. Maybe this repentance that I see is just temporary right now. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get courtside seats to what's about to happen. I'm going to go. I'm going to find a great place to sit, and I'm going to build a little shelter for myself, a, a booth, and maybe God is going to rain down sulfur and fire uh, just like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. And so he goes and he waits. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed, God showing his sovereignty over creation. Again, we've seen him appointing things and he hurled a great storm. He appointed a fish and we're going to see him appoint a plant here. He's going to appoint a worm in a minute and then he's going to appoint uh, an east wind. God is sovereign over his creation. And look at what it says. He says, he appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah so there might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. All right, we're going to look at the footnotes again. I'm going to make you guys work a little bit. Look down at your Bible. If there's a footnote there, it should say, or his evil. So it could read, it saved him from his discomfort, or it could also read to save him from his evil. That Hebrew word can mean both things there. And I honestly think that when we look at this, the Hebrew author is meaning for us to read it with both in mind. Yes, God is going to be merciful. He's going to save Jonah from a little bit of discomfort for a while and give him a shade. But he is also appointing this plant to be an object lesson for him to save him from his evil. And so he appoints the plant And notice Jonah's reaction. Notice that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. It is right here that God has Jonah in his sights. He, earlier we saw that Jonah was exceedingly displeased because of the repentance of a whole bunch of image bearers of God. And yet here, even though he was displeased about that, here he is exceedingly glad because of the plant. And so God gives him the plant. Jonah is relaxing. He's thinking, oh, 
things are great. I can kick up my feet now. I'm going to relax, and I'm just going to watch and see what happens. But the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God appoints a worm to destroy the plant, and then we see the, uh, the scorching east wind that comes. Jonah is actually probably out in a, it's a very arid place in the middle east, and so there's a scorching east wind, and a very hot sun begins to beat down on Jonah, and his reaction again, whether because he's miserable or because he can see now God's trying to deal with me still, he asks again for his life to be ended. He asked that he might die. He says, it's better for me to, li- to die than to live. And yet again, we see a gentle question from the Lord. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah doubles down. He, he's going to ride this train until the very end. yes. Yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough even to die. And so here in the last two verses, we see God is going to call out Jonah's heart. God calls Jonah's attention back to the plant. You pity this plant. You didn't labor for it. You're upset at its death, and yet you, you didn't plant it, you didn't water it, you didn't make it grow. I, God, did all of those things. And it came and went in 24 hours. It was, it was just a plant, and you had pity for the plant. You were concerned for this plant, and you were angry over its death. Jonah, if you can pity this planet, or this plant, not planet, if you can pity this plant, then just take a second to consider this. It said, you pity the plant. You didn't labor. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons. 120,000 persons who were all, every single one of them were image bearers of God whom he gave life to, who he gave his breath into. 120 persons who were his creatures, his creation, each and every one of them a gift. Should I not pity them? And, and by the way, Jonah, they don't even know their right hand from their left. This means they, it could mean a couple of different things. I think the best explanation for this is, Jonah, they don't, they don't have the law. They don't have the scriptures like you do. Yes, they're an evil people. They deserve my wrath. And yet they haven't even been told before now that what they are doing was evil. And then finally, he, he says, there, there are 120 persons who don't know their right hand from their left. And then he just adds this in at the end, and, and maybe we could uh, maybe think of it as a, as a joke, but it's not. It's God is pointing Jonah back to Nineveh's response. And Nineveh, they said, look, it's not even the greatest from the lowest of us, but not even our animals are going to touch any food. Everyone is going to repent. And God is just pointing this out. Look, Jonah, even their animals are repenting here. Should I not have pity on this great city? And then the book ends. 
Do we really not get to hear Jonah's response? No, I think the ending is exactly the way it should be because the ending means for us to ask some questions about this text. And in fact, if I I thought about this, I've been thinking about this for several weeks when I knew that this uh, text was one I was going to be preaching. I do not watch scary movies. I can't stand them at all. They terrify me. But something that would terrify me more than anything else is if we got to the end of a movie and then all of a sudden, right when like the most scary moment happens, then everyone on the screen actually turns back and looks at you who's watching the movie, and they start addressing you. I think that's exactly, if we were to think about what's happening here, the the narrator has stopped talking, Jonah has stopped talking, God has stopped talking, and all of them turn and look to you and say, God has compassion on his enemies. How about you? That should be scary for us. And so as we think about this text and we apply it, we need first to remember that God has a warning here for the cold heart. God has a warning for people who are like Jonah. And so brothers and sisters, we we might think that, oh, I'm, I'm fairly certain, God, that I have not sat outside of a city and wanted fire and sulfur to be rained down on it and to see you absolutely decimate the city. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have not done that, Lord. Well, I'm, I'm afraid that we might be a little bit more like Jonah than maybe we're comfortable admitting. And, and here's, here's why I think that. I think that often for, for many of us, we are shaped far more about what we think about those who oppose us or maybe those who think about us. I think, I think honestly, we're shaped more by, by podcasts or more by news than we are by God's word. When you think about Hamas, when you think about that very wicked organization that has done some very, very evil and terrible things, actually very similar to how brutal Nineveh is, what's your first thought and what's your first desire for them? If you're like me, and I think a lot of us are like Jonah here, many of us would just wish that they met their end at the end of an Israeli missile. Or are any of us praying that, that God would send brave missionaries, men and women, to go bring the good news to those evil, wicked people and to see them one for the gospel. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. When we think of the local Planned Parenthood office that slaughters innocent babies by the thousands, very evil, very wicked. What's our first thought? I wish that place would just burn to the ground. Or is it, and I wish myself or some of us were brave enough to go and share the good news of the gospel with those doctors and see them repent and believe and follow Jesus. 
I'm afraid too many of us have bought into the media around us that just wants us to think that those who disagree with us would just be better if they were out of the way. Brothers and sisters, we need to be more like Jesus than Jonah. We need to be more like our Father who commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I pray that we would listen to the warning of this book and we would examine our hearts and we would look and see, is there any way that I'm like Jonah when I should be like Jesus? There's another warning that we need to hear here from this whole book, not just from this uh, chapter. But we need to remember that, that this book could have ended with Jonah getting exactly what he wanted, with the Ninevites receiving God's just wrath, and it would have been perfectly good and right for God to have done so. And if any of us are here and we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I assure you, the Bible proclaims to us that each and every one of us are sinners. We might not have done the exact same things that the Ninevites have done, but, but we, without Christ, God is perfectly right and righteous to pour on us all of the wrath that we deserve. You may think, well, I'm... Pastor Will, I'm really not that bad. But what we need to remember, it's, it's about the person we are sinning against. And we aren't just in our sin, we sin against others, yes, but we are sinning ultimately against the very God who created us. And he is perfectly good, perfectly holy. He is the infinite creator of all the universe. And in our sin, we have rebelled against him. We have put ourselves on the throne and we have dismissed him, our holy creator. He is perfectly just to remove you from this world and to set you into his just eternal wrath in hell. God owes us nothing. He didn't know the Ninevites anything, and he owes us nothing other than his judgment. Yet God was compassionate with Nineveh, and God has demonstrated his compassion for you even more today by showing us his compassion and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. Nineveh was an enemy of God and his people. Romans 5, 8 tells us that all of us are enemies of God. And yet in the midst of our sin and rebellion, that is when God sent his son Jesus Christ, to die for your sin and my sin. And he is alive now, and he is very much the one who can save you from God's just wrath against your sin. And I would, I would plead with you, friend. Cast yourself at the mercy of God. Though he owes you no mercy, cast yourself at the feet of the person of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin Cast yourself on him and he will never cast you out. Again, the parable that we read earlier today, the father, when the, the prodigal turns, he sees him when he's a long way off and he runs to him. If you are not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, I would plead with you, trust in him. 
He is the only, he is the only way you may receive mercy from God. And if you want to talk more about what it means to be saved by Christ, I invite you, come and talk to one of the elders or even one of the, the folks in the pew next to you. We would love to talk to you about that. But finally, I want, I want us all to look again at this, at this whole book and, and know that God shows love here for his lost sheep. God shows love here for the bad guy. I think as we've looked at this book, we can, we can maybe get, start to think, well, maybe, maybe those, those mariners were the bad guys or, or maybe the, the whale was the bad guy or now we've been to, to Nineveh. Now maybe the Ninevites were the bad guys. But, but I think throughout this whole book, we've seen that the bad guy in this is Jonah. Jonah is the bad guy. He is the hard-hearted proto-Pharisee. He's the, he's the Pharisee before Pharisees were a thing. He's the hypocrite. He's the one who is racist. He is the one who can't stand the thought of God's mercy being poured out on wicked people. And yet, God pursues Jonah. God didn't have to use Jonah after he refused. God could have just let him leave or he could have killed him where he stood. And yet God patiently pursues his hard-hearted, stubborn prophet from the beginning of the book to the very end. And so, brother, sister, friend, if there are any of us here who you have been fighting against God, you have been resisting him, whether he's calling you to repent of a sin or whether he's been calling you to trust in Jesus for the very first time and you have been running away from him this whole time, stop running. He is pursuing you here and now. You wouldn't be in this room now if he wasn't pursuing you. God shows and demonstrates his love for the person who is hard-hearted and stubborn here in this book. If you are still breathing in and out, there is still a chance for you to repent and turn to the God who has shown you mercy and compassion just in the way that he has shown it to the Ninevites here. Stop running. If there is a sin that you will not let go of, repent. God is pursuing you even now. God shows mercy and compassion to his enemies. He shows mercy and compassion to sinners. We are those chief sinners. And yet God has shown and demonstrated that love and compassion in the person of his son, Jesus. What a wonderful God that we serve. Let's pray.